Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue this evening with our uh, discussion of the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. As we explained, uh, basically this Sandarbha, Paramatma Sandarbha is divided into three general categories. And this first category has 18 anuchetas or sections dealing primarily with a proper understanding of the manifestations of Paramatma as the Purusha avatar and the Guna avatars. Uh, the next section will deal with the nature of the uh, Tatasta Shakti, the Jiva Shakti of Paramatma. And the section after that will deal uh, with the manifestation of the material cosmos, the material aspect of it, Bahiranga Shakti. So we have a couple more anachetas here in this first section. And we've been talking primarily in this these few anachetas about the nature of the guna avatars and how they need to be seen in respect uh, to the manifestations of their energies by Paramatma, how to properly have the proper conceptual understanding of uh, their exact nature uh, in relationship to the modes of material nature and in the rela and in relationship to the Supreme Lord himself. Because scripture uh, could be somewhat confusing in this regard. So this, this is this is very important, this last few anachetas in this first group of anachetas regarding um, the Paramatma manifestation of the Lord in that here Jiva is going to give us the proper conception of, well, primarily these demigods, Shiva and Brahma in relationship to Vishnu and the proper conception which will allow us not to offend the Lord's holy name by not having a comprehensive understanding uh, according to Shastra. That's one of the offenses to the holy name is uh, equating not properly offering respect and seeing Shiva uh, as as to what he actually does in relationship to the material energy, but it has that conception has to be properly understood because Shiva is not Vishnu, but he is in no way uh, to be denigrated uh, consciously by us when we think of him in relationship to 
his function in the in the material energy and his relationship to Vishnu. So we're going to come across a lot of scriptural information here, which is going to place Shiva at the top. And one could be, we don't want to, we don't want to offend scripture. It's not that these statements are not there. We're going to read a lot of them about the position of Shiva. And how do we look upon those where Shiva's put actually in a position that's superior to Vishnu in some scriptures? So how do we how do we how do we properly reconcile statements like this so that we have a so we have a comprehensive understanding that Vishnu's still the supreme personality of Godhead? And you would say, well, why are those statements there? Well, they're there because there are different worshipers that are in other modes of material nature and their consciousness is a certain level. So scripture, the Lord has to accommodate all of the living entities. So scripture is provided for them so that they can gradually appreciate what's in the scripture according to their conceptual orientation within the modes of material nature and in gaining that appreciation for what's presented in the scriptures they can gradually make advancement now naturally we would say well why not introduce them immediately to the chanting of Hare Krishna and they'll immediately come to the topmost platform well that's okay, but the fact is, it's once in a day of Brahma that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes, that Krishna comes as a devotee and allows for that kind of merciful dispensation. It's the exception, not the rule. Sri Chaitanya's advent, once in a day of Brahma. It's there's a lot of years between that midterm day of Brahma, which is kind of in the middle of his day, if you look at it in comparison with all of his days and all the manifestations of, of Manu, 14 Manus, presiding over 71 Yuga cycles each, a thousand Yuga cycles comprising Brahma's one day. So there's a, a lot of a lot going on in the material manifestation before and a lot going on after that one manifestation of this extraordinary descent by Krishna himself as his devotee for the benefit of humanity. It's an, it's an extraordinary thing, this advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But there's all those other times and all those other, everybody has these levels of consciousness in the modes of, of ignorance, some are in the modes of passion, some are in the modes of goodness, and how to invoke in those, uh, in humanity that's enamored by those modes of material nature, an appreciation for 
something higher than their sensual perception to begin with and and um, to put them in touch with scriptural statements whereby they can gain faith and that faith can gradually be cultured and they will be gradually uh, they will gradually advance uh, to the mode of goodness uh, from which uh, there's a possibility of actually well there's illumination and there's knowledge in the mode of goodness in the mode of passion and ignorance those things are, are pretty much covered over those mode of goodness so uh, a very important section here and we'll walk through it so we're in the 14th Anucheta Vishnu is beyond the material goodness and, and Jiva here is establishing uh, the superiority of Vishnu Sri Sukha confirms the same supremacy of Vishnu in three verses. Now Jiva here quotes three verses from the 88th chapter of the 10th canto. Shiva remains, Shiva ever remains, united with his energy. As Trilinga, he who bears three marks, he is endowed with the three gunas of nature. He presides over the conditional I principle, ahankar, or ego, which is threefold, sattvika, rajasika, and tamasika. From this ego manifests the 16 modifications of prakriti. One who worships Shiva as presiding over any among these modifications enjoys the fruit of all material opulences. But Bhagavan Vishnu is the supreme personality himself, free of the three gunas and beyond material nature. He is all-seeing, Sarvadrik, and the witness, Upadrasta, who, one who worships him becomes free of the gunas of nature. So first we'll read Jiva's um, commentary on this verse in this Anacheda and then discuss a little bit. The phrase, ever remains united with his energy. Here again, here he's the verses that he quoted by Sukadev Goswami uh, are referring to Shiva. He ever remains united with his energy. Shakti Yuta Sasvat means that Shiva is endowed from the very beginning, that is, always and eternally with his energy, namely the limiting adjunct, upadi, formed by prakriti, or the gunas in their state of equilibrium. When the gunas of nature are destabilized, he becomes trilinga, or he who bears three marks in that he takes on the limiting adjuncts of the three gunas. When these gunas are manifest, he is covered by them. So these three verses, Jiva goes on, these three verses under discussion in this section, uh, well, this is actually commentary here, excuse me, 
These three verses under discussion in this section were spoken by Sri Sukha in response to a query raised by King Parikshit. Shiva is he who appears outwardly as inauspicious, a Shiva, having abandoned all enjoyment and social uh, propriety. While Sri Hari, Bhagavan Vishnu, is the husband of Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth and fortune. Nonetheless, it is observed that those among the devas, asuras, and human beings who worship Shiva are generally opulent and enjoy sense pleasures, while those devoted to Vishnu are indigent. Why is this? So that was the query that Parikshit Maharaj placed before Sukadev Goswami as that elicited this response. Shiva is united with his energy, etc. So Bhagavan Vishnu takes away the wealth of his devotees in so many ways. Um, and this enables them to see through false ego and independent enjoyership. This version in turn becomes the basis of total self-surrendering to Bhagavan. They become fully devoted and attain him, becoming free from the green three gunas of nature. In contrast, Shiva blesses his devotees with material enjoyment, which aggravates the sense of enjoyership and diverts consciousness towards the mundane. So it's like a skilled physician. He's not going to superficially provide some remedy. He's going to get to the root of the problem and deal with it on that most basic level. And if the, if, if the patient wants rich food and it's not going to be to his physical benefit, then the physician's going to say no. So it seems somewhat difficult at times. Uh, but the ultimate benefit is, uh, is attained when you have an expert physician. So this is an analogy. Shiva may grant, but those benedictions are superficial. They're not really going to benefit uh, humanity. So I'm going to read on instead of before I start explaining this. Jiva goes on in the Anucheda and he raises a doubt which I'm sure you are thinking, what's going on here? Shiva's in charge of the three gunas? I thought he was in charge of one guna. What are we talking about here? So let's let this play out a little bit and then discuss it. A doubt is raised. It is heard from authoritative sources that Shiva has only Thomas as a limiting adjunct. So how is it said here that he has three limiting adjuncts. This is answered in the second half of the first verse that we just read. The three is a reference to the I principle, Aham Tattva, which is of three types as specified here, and he presides over that ego. This means that even though it may be accepted that the other two gunas did not exist in him, in the primary state, 
sense, I'm sorry, primary sense, their secondary present must certainly be accepted. So we're talking about an aspect of Shiva which is in relationship to the false ego of the living entity. So that false ego, that sense of minus, can be in the mode of ignorance, passion, or goodness. That responsibility of the manifestation of the false ego is Shiva's. He deals with that. When, before the manifestation, he's united with that principle. This is before the material manifestation. So that's what's being spoken of in the verse. Shiva ever remains united with his energy. His energy to bewilder the living entities according to this sense of I-ness or minus in relationship to material energy, the three modes of material nature. So when the manifestation comes, then it's not merged with him anymore. It becomes manifest. And as Trilinga, he who bears three marks, he is endowed with the three gunas in relationship to false ego is what's being spoken here by Sukadeva Goswami. He presides over the conditional I principle, a hunkar, which has three which is threefold. False ego in the in relationship to the mode of ignorance, false ego in the relationship to the mode of passion, and false ego in relationship to the mode of goodness. And from, if we look back to the Sankhya part of the Bhagavatam, wherein Kapila Dev was instructing his mother, uh, Devahuti, right? then we, we learn there of this manifestation of, of the elements and of the senses and of the sense objects. So, this this is referred to as from this ego manifest the 16 modifications of prakriti well what are these 16 modifications well there would be the gross senses the senses the ears the eyes the nose the tongue the sense of feeling it would be those uh, it would be the objects that they perceive would be the other the next set of five which would be sound, smell uh, taste sight and touch um, and then we also have five other senses which allow us to what? acquire, move about, so we have arms, we have legs, uh, we can speak, so we're using the same tongue, but now we're not using it to 
to perceive, but to actually, uh, to perceive sensually, but to actually nourish the body. Uh, organs of pleasure and organs of elimination. So another five, so we're up to 15. And then we have the Grand Master, the mind, who sits atop all these and uh, helps us accept and reject according to our prior impressions, which form what? Our sense of I-ness. So all this is coming, evolving from this false ego, and this false ego is presided over by Lord Shiva. So that's what's being spoken of here. So Shiva is being spoken of in a different capacity, not as his his responsibilities in regards to destruction or the mode of ignorance, lethargy. So it's a different function. So that should clarify the doubt that Jiva's just raised because I heard he was just in charge of Thomas. Here you're saying he's in charge of three. Well, he's in charge of three when it comes to his function in the manifestation of the ego. Now the second verse says, this is Jiva going on to explain the second verse of the three verses that he's using as his evidence here, spoken by Sukadev Goswami in response to Maharaj Parikshit's inquiry. Then from the ego principle, which is presided over by Shiva, as a representative of Bhagavan, come the 16 modifications. A person who worships Shiva as presiding over any among these modifications, taking that element as being connected to all opulences, attains the fruit that is aspired for. In other words, such fruit is obtained by worshiping him as delimited by that particular adjunct, Upadi. So if one takes to the worship of Lord Shiva in relationship to a material aspect, in other words, they are worshiping Lord Shiva with an intent in regards to these senses. I want a good wife. I want to be, you know, in relationship to the sense of I that they've formed. And they're going to Shiva and say, I want this material opulence. Please, give me, give me, give me. And they worship Shiva in that regard. And Shiva awards them as as he's approached he reciprocates but in the material realm so if we approach him as the supreme in that regard then he gives I want to know I want a wife I want a car I want a job I want I want I want it doesn't end but they're going to Shiva, and Shiva's saying, yeah, sure. Go for it. <laughs> it's okay. Vishnu's not going to do that. But Shiva does. Jiva Goswami continues with the third verse in this section of three. The word he indicates universal acknowledgement. 
It is well known that Hari is near Guna, or causation, because Hari is directly the Purusha. He is without any Upadis or near Guna. He doesn't take on any limitation uh, coming from the material manifestation. But in contrast to Shiva, Bhagavan Hari is transcendental to the limitations, Upadis, imposed by material nature, being untouched by its attributes. Therefore, being free of the gunas, how can he be limited by these three gunas, Trilinga, and so on, as is Shiva? Just read on. Shiva continues. Now, Sri Sukha states the reason for this. Hari is directly the Purusha himself, namely the supreme controller, Ishvara, and not separated like a reflection from the reflected object. Therefore, just as the word Tanu, body, has been used to mean energy or manifestation, then he quotes a verse from the Bhagavatam, knowledge and ignorance are my two energies, Tanu. In the same way, sometimes it is said that Hari is endowed with the energy of sattva, which simply means that he is related to it by rendering it functional through his mere glance, and not that he has it as an upadi in, any, in the way that Shiva does. So here Jiva is bringing out a distinction. Don't think that because Vishnu is in the charge of the mode of goodness, that he's in any way affected by goodness. While Shiva is, he does take on the apodis of the material manifestation. So that's the real distinction of Shiva. He does take on those characteristics in order to function in relationship to the manifestation of false ego. And the, the overriding management or manifestation of the mode of ignorance. Jiva goes on. This will finish this Anucheta. Therefore, being all-seeing, Sarvadrik, or in other words, being the one from whom everyone's vision or knowledge, Drik, is derived, including that of Shiva and Brahma, he is also their observer or witness, Upadrasta, or also Shetrajda, right? He's the real witness. Thus, by worshipping him, one becomes free from the gunas, meaning he attains a result beyond the material gunas. So, knowledge means... Sattva. Sattva is the mode of material nature that allows for the acquisition of knowledge, whereas Rajas and Thomas are avidya. They simply are, you're either bewildered or you're deluded entirely. Uh, now the word Tanu is used here instead of Shakti, to signify that Bhagavan renders vidya and unvidya, avidya, functional. 
So there, he he makes them he he allows them to function in relationship to the material manifestation, but it's not like a direct shakti of his. He makes he makes them functional, and that's why this word tanu is used. Um, without directly contact him, contacting them, meaning contacting knowledge, sattva, and avidya uh, in passionate ignorance. Just as the self, the atma, makes the body functional, but is still separate from the body. It's one ten thousandth the tip of a hair, and the whole body becomes animate by it, but it's not really the body. It's constantly changing. It's, it's you know, so both gross and subtle bodies are the extrinsic potency of the Supreme Lord. We're not in that potency. We're not this material body. So it's like that. This The same thing is what is being brought out here. This functionality of Lord Vishnu in relationships to ignorance and knowledge, vidya and avidya, is one of, well, the Sanskrit word used here is tanu. Not a direct shakti, but he he makes them functional. Uh, the commentary finishes up here. The knowledge of Shiva and Brahma is dependent upon Vishnu, who presides over the sattva from which knowledge arises. Therefore, he is called Sarvadrik, the source of everyone's knowledge or awareness. This makes him a witness to all because to be a witness, one must have awareness. Rajas produces distraction, viksepa, and Thomas, laya, uh, illusion, delusion. Both are obstacles to the witnessing capacity. So this brings us back to the very beginning of this particular Sandarbha, where Jiva was making what point? The true Chaitragya is whom? Is Paramatma. How can we, we are partial witnesses, but our witnessing is, it's diluted witnessing or it's, what's the other word? Distracted witnessing, viksepa. Both are obstacles to the witness, witnessing capacity. Since Vishnu is near Guna, one becomes nirguna by worshipping him. So by worshipping Vishnu, we're freed of ignorance and we can see things properly. And as we started out discussing this evening, this is very important to have the fine discrimination to understand what in scripture, how to approach scripture and what in scripture is the proper conception, 
the highest conception, the Bhagavat conception, the cream of the cream of scripture, what there is. So otherwise, we would simply be bewildered. And we're going to read verses coming up here that are, what? Really, it says that? And we're going to read verses where Vishnu himself says Shiva is supreme. How do we take those verses? Anucheta 15. Vishnu is one with the supreme Purusha. So here, Jiva is going to make sure that we do not see these different functions that Paramatma performs as the Purusha, three Purusha manifestations, and as his and in his responsibilities, if you could say that the Supreme has responsibilities in relationship to the material energy, he manifests it. But we do not have a misconception is is between this Purusha functionality of the Supreme Lord and his functioning as the maintainer of the mode of goodness, the maintenance of the material manifestation through sattva. So we'll see how jiva again assures that we do not have a misconception in this regard. Jiva Goswami continues, 15th Anucheta, For this reason Brahma spoke to Narada about the direct oneness of the Supreme Purusha only in regard to Vishnu of the three Guna avatars. It's from the Srimad Bhagavatam's second canto. I, Aham, of all the universes appointed by him, and Shiva dissolves it under his supervision, while he himself, endowed with the three potencies, preserves it as the Purusha. The pronoun I, Aham, here refers to Brahma. There is also a Vedic statement in this regard. He creates through Brahma and dissolves through Rudra. That, Bhagavan Hari, also is transcendental, supremely blissful, and devoid of origination and dissolution. Maha Upanishad. So after establishing the supremacy of Vishnu over Brahma and Shiva, and showing that Vishnu is beyond the three gunas of nature, Sri Jiva establishes that although Vishnu is counted as one among the guna avatars of the Purusha, he should not be regarded as a lesser manifestation. In other words, the manifestation of Vishnu presiding over the mode of goodness is no less than the Vishnus that manifest the material cosmos, be they Karnadakshai Vishnu, Garbadakshai Vishnu, or Kashiradakshai Vishnu. To see him as a lesser Vishnu 
would be a misconception. It's simply what Jeeva is presenting here. So do not... Here's proof that he's not in these verses. This brings us to a very interesting... First, let's go back to the whole verse that's the center of these three sandarbas. Vedanti tat tat vidas tatvam yaj janam advayam. There's one supreme. He manifests differently. He manifests with different amounts of his own potencies for different purposes. Some worship him in relationship to those manifestations. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan Iti, Sabjate. Does it change him? The way one approaches him? The way one conceives of him? The way one looks at what's going on in the cosmos? Or with, within the spiritual realm even? And conceives of him differently? Is he changed by any of that? No, he's still the one unchangeable supreme personality of Godhead. So when we when he takes on these different quote quote manifestations for different purposes in relationship to the to his devotees and in relationship to the material manifestation, we don't think as as Krishna Bhaktas Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam, we accept this manifestation as, as the original source, as the topmost conception of the Supreme, but that doesn't change the other conceptions. It doesn't diminish them in any way. The fact that he functions differently in relationship to the modes of material nature, in relationship to the manifestation of the cosmos, in relationship to the different devotees and how they conceive of him in Vraj, in Mathura, in Dwarka, in Ioja. He's still the same, you know, in Vaikuntha. As this God or that God, it's still God. We have a unique perspective. We're, giving, we're being given a perspective through the Bhagavatam where all these manifestations can be fully reconciled and appreciated for in relationship to Krishna, the son of Nanda Maharaj. We can reconcile all that. We have no problem accepting all the different Vishnus that Krishna manifested before Brahma and the Brahma Vimohan Leela and all the... We can, we can relate. We have no problem relating to Arjuna's plea after he requested to see the universal form with, you know, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Please, could, four arms, please. I've, I've, I've seen enough of the fact that you do pervade and support this entire cosmos with a simple f fragment of your potencies. But please, I want to see you the way my love, my friend is. I want to see you as a friend. So that's 
you know, when you say what name, yeah, what name is it? It's a name in relationship to to a specific function. So we say, well, Vishnu's in charge of the mode of goodness. Vishnu's in charge of manifesting the cosmos. Vishnu's residing in everyone's heart. Sarvasya chahamriti sani visto matasmritir janama pohanam cha. So there, it's all Krishna, but we know he's functioning according to what? All of them, as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. If you surrender to the Purusha, if you surrender to the to the Paramatma, if you surrender to Krishna and Braj, you know, then he's going to reciprocate accordingly. So his his various manifestations don't in any way interfere with his supremacy. And that's the, one of the points that's being made here in relationship to Vishnu and his manifestation as the guna avatar in charge of the mode of sattva. Not as a lesser manifestation. But what? Again, looking to the Brahma Samhita as one lamp is lit from another lamp. Both are equally illuminating. But there's no lighting of lamps really going on, is there? These are eternal manifestations of the Lord. So it's an analogy, but it, it's analogy just to give us the idea that there was one original. Well, there's not really an original when it comes to the spiritual world, the spiritual manifest. It's all a naughty. All these forms of the Lord have always been and always will be. So it's not that one came from another. They are the other. They are all the supreme personality of Godhead. But for our understanding, we can think one light is lighting another light. This, this, is, a, this is a lesser manifestation of the Lord. He doesn't display all the qualities Whereas Krishna and Vraj has these four special sweetnesses, but they're not manifest in Vaikuntha, the Vaikuntha realm. They're not manifest in Ayodhya or even Dwarka. Only in Vraj. So, but does that mean Krishna and Dwarka is a different Krishna? Well, yes. We call him Vasudev Krishna. But he's Krishna, but he's not manifesting the sweetness of Raj Krishna. So therefore we say Vasudev, Vasudev denoting what? That the devotees there have more of a sense of their relationship to him can sometimes be eclipsed by the, the sense of his godliness. That doesn't exist in Raj. That doesn't come into play with those devotees. So he's playing, what's well, his land of play? It's a different play. Sometimes their love could be eclipsed a little bit by his being God. So are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association. <laughs>